Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. And I and and to be able to make that connection, like I need to know that you have that character. I need to know that you have the curiosity. It doesn't just happen. And I think when, if you just wait until you need something to connect, you're, you're way behind the eight ball. Welcome to Beyond the Rut, the podcast that shares encouraging stories and practical tools to help pull you out of your rut and into a life worth living. I'm your host, Jerry Dugan. And in this episode, we're going to be joined by returning guest, Vincent Pugliese. Now, Vincent is the host and owner and founder of Total Life Freedom. Uh, it is a show and a platform designed to help you design your entrepreneurial life, helping others doing the thing you love to have total life freedom for you. Now, he just came out with a new book called The Wealth of Connection, where he talks about how really serving others through generous goals and just serving the needs of others is what creates wealth for you in your life. And it's on a greater scale than what you would think. It is in a much more meaningful way than just simply, if I help X number of people, then I'm going to have X number of sales. It's none of that stuff. It's like, what if you lived your life just simply being generous to others? How would that change your world? How would that change the world of others? And how would that just change the world in general? And then from that, you just happen to find things like total life freedom and success. So sit back and relax unless you're trying to toss ice cubes into your best friend's shirt. And, and I don't know, that's kind of weird. So just listen to the show. Here we go. All right. Hey, Vincent, how are things going for you? Jerry, what's going on? It's a pleasure to be here. I am excited and I'm having a great time. Nice, nice. Now you recently moved to Florida. Is that right? Yeah, Bradenton, Florida from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, nice. So you went from like a place with winters to a place with hurricanes. Well, what, what happened was, <laughs> you know, we homeschool and I work from anywhere. So the last four years, we've been leaving for the wintertime. Okay. It, it's funny. We heard a story and it really, <laughs> I didn't watch Oprah very much, right? It just wasn't my show. But I happened to catch it one time and Denzel Washington was on. and They were talking about Christmas time. This is before we were able to do any of this stuff. And they talked about how he's home for Christmas in Chicago in the snow. And like, oh, wow, that's so sweet. Like you, you stay in the cold weather for Christmas. And then they're like, so, you know, when do you leave? And he goes, that afternoon after we, after we open the gifts, we go to Hawaii. And I was like, <laughs> that sounds really awesome. I'm like, now we don't have Denzel Washington money, but like, can we live like that? Can we like leave for the winter time? And we said, well, we work from home or wherever and we homeschool. So why can't we just we love we love Pittsburgh, but like we hate the winters. You, yeah. The sun doesn't it leaves sometime mid October, doesn't come back till late April. <laughs> Why don't we just leave and then come back when it gets? So we started doing that. So for four or five years, we left for three or four months at a time and wow. went on the road, went out west, did you know cross country. Uh, last year, we went down to the west coast of Florida and we bounced around. And somewhere along the way, we're in Sarasota, which is just south of here. We looked at each other and we said, "We're moving," and we had said. <laughs> We had said that before and we, we and we chickened out and literally we got home April 1st and my wife, Elizabeth, went, <laughs> no joke, I was playing with the kids and she started packing the day we got home. Wow. She's like, we're not, she's like, we're not backing, we're not backing out this time. I said, okay, you're serious. So we put the house in the market and we moved here July 1st, rented a couple months, then luckily bought a house before everything just blew up. 
So uh, it's been a great, a great adventure. Wow. Now, does your wife handle change really well or is she usually averse to change? I'm usually the one that handles change really well. And she's usually the slow and steady one. That's why it was so bizarre. She's like, no, we went, went to Arizona a couple of years ago. We're like, we're moving. And we came back and, we're, and we found every reason not to. Yeah. All the kids, friends and this and that. And we kind of felt a little like, that's not who we are. You know, you talk about getting out of a rut. Like, that's not who we are is to say we're going to do something and then back out. And so this time it was like, there was no... There was no turning back. We're going. Nice. It's gonna be, yeah. We're going to figure it out. Yeah, my wife's the same way. Like She likes things to be the way they are, the routine, the traditions. So when she has that you know, aha moment, like, we're going to move to Dallas. It's like, yep. okay, start packing. Start planning. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then if she's still, like, once you're packed, if she's still on board, then it's like, oh, this is happening. Okay. Yeah. And then here we are in Dallas. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's, uh, it's really neat when, you know, that person who is averse to change finally says, you know, we got to do this. And so for those of us who love it, we're like, all right, let's go. Boom. Well, it's so hard because so many people want to make a change, but they find reasons not to. Mm-hmm. And my friend Michelle Williams said it great. She goes, you're not a tree. Like trees have roots that you can't move. Like we're not trees. Like we can move if we want to. If you really want to go do it. What's the worst? You're, you're going to learn something new. You're going to meet new people. You're going to you're going to get out of your comfort zone, no matter what happens, good or bad. Yeah. And you know, it usually turns out fine. So it's fear that stops us. So we're yeah. like, we we couldn't live with ourselves knowing. Again, we we would back out. So so it was it was it was on. It was going to happen. And that's kind of the essence of a, a healthy, vibrant community is that you have new blood coming into yeah. it. Uh, I've I've seen towns and communities and clubs and organizations where they just put up a wall and it's just who's left. And over time, they just kind of degrade both yep. in their own health, physically, uh, their outlook on things they can do and impact and affect. Uh, but when you get that new, fresh set of eyes into that community, it's like. Hey, that's a great idea. Let's do this. Yeah, that's what we're about. Let's go. And then they just get new life and then they, they continue their mission. And, um, you know, that kind of is my attempt at a segue into your book that's coming out, uh, yeah. The Wealth of Connection. And, yeah. uh, I read the first one, uh, Freelance to Freedom because, you know, for those who don't know, uh, and if you haven't listened to the show long enough, I mean, Vincent is an alumni to Beyond the Rut and he made a living as a freelance photographer. And then he and his wife started a freelance business as photographers. And then they started helping other people become freelance photographers. And now they just help people find freedom, period, mm-hmm. <laughs> total life yeah. freedom. And uh, so this book coming up, Wealth of Connection, is in essence, you know, how those connections are important. And, and we just talked about the evolving of community. But uh, you talk about the five C's, character, mm-hmm. curiosity, connection collaboration and creation uh and that, that you kick it off with a story with seth godin how he hooked you up uh with the first book that came out yeah can you tell us a little bit about that yeah it was one of those things where as i'm writing this book and as i knew i had to write this book because i'm the person that i'm writing for and it really is the selfish person that has my own goals in mind and it seems like i have these it seems like i'm helpful and, and at times i am but really it's it's what i need and I was like that for so long and I was driven and in certain professions you get into, you kind of almost have to be that way. The photography world, it was a dog eat dog world and you kind of keep friends, but you keep them at arm's length because you can't have them taking your work and you can't have them beating you. And, but you're still nice. And it's this weird dichotomy that goes on. And then I realized I'm like, man, I didn't like who I was. I just didn't like who I was becoming with it. And I was becoming successful and I was becoming well-known. I was, be, you know, you're lauded for certain things, but internally I'm like, why am I 
doing this. And I had to really sit down. And the reason why I sat down to write it was not for myself was because I see this in so many other people. Right. And it really is like, you have your selfish goals and there's nothing wrong with having selfish goals. And I label it that because it's kind of jarring, right? I have a selfish goal to want to move to Florida. Yeah. That's about us. That's my selfish goal. But then we have other goals, which are generous goals, which are, how do I help other people out? How do I do things for other people? Now, generally we find that selfish goals go on top of generous goals. I got to get mine, right? I got to do this. But what I learned in studying for this book and observing through my life is the people that had generous goals that went above selfish goals were the most successful. So the story about Seth Godin was, was kind of phenomenal for me because I went to one of his events and I connected with him and we weren't friends or anything, but I, we, we had formed a little bit of a connection and I asked him to endorse my book and he did. And he turns down most books. So I was kind of stunned. And then all of a sudden, Seth Godin's Seth name's on the, on the front of my book. And I'm kind of like, well, that really was, <laughs> that really boosted things. I'm yeah. a nobody. And, and then I would get, literally, as I was doing the pre-reading for, for certain people, some woman that I had asked if she wanted to read it before it came out, she was kind of like blew me off. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she goes, she, t- she messages me and she goes, wait, wait, hold on. This is really, literally what she wrote. Back up the bus. Seth Godin endorsed the book. I'm going to read it tonight. I'm like, that's kind of funny and crappy at the same time. I'm like, it's really cool. But at the same time, she completely blew me off until she knew there was a connection. So it's a little weird part of it. So what happened was we went on a three-month tour, road trip, when the book launched. The day the book launched, we left as a family. We we said, "Let's, let's do a thank you tour. Instead of going to bookstores and selling the book, let's just drive around the country and give the book to all the different people, as many as we can, that helped us. So I got to give it to Dave Ramsey, who helped, you know, in terms of his content, not personally, Dan Miller from 48 Days, who helped me out tremendously, Pat Flynn, John Lee Dumas. And then the last person was Seth Godin. He was speaking in Orange County, California. So I go to this event and it's being filmed for Beyond the Brand. It's this huge kind of production. And I message him. I say, can I give you the book? When I get there, he said, absolutely. We'll, we'll find time to meet. So I meet up with him and I, and, he, and I give him the book and I say, and it goes, how'd the launch go? And I said, it went great. I had no expectations. And he got real serious. And he said, that's perfect. Never have any expectations when wow. releasing a book. He's got 19 best-selling books. Yeah. What great advice. So I give him the book. And this is me like being a little kid. He goes on stage and he puts my book under the chair. So to me, this is like the pinnacle. I'm literally from the front row taking a picture of my book. I don't have very many idols, right? But Seth is, is high up there if, there if there's going to be an idol. And I take a picture of my book. I'm like, oh my God, my book's under Seth Godin's chair, right? So, so like just a geek. So I go to ask a question and some woman to my right, like grabs the microphone and says, me first. And she oh, asks her question. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And then she asks a question about being more generous. And I was like, I wasn't real generous. <laughs> and, uh, and Seth Godin basically said, he goes, she goes, is my problem be, I, am I too selfish? You know, I think I, I think I'm too selfish is the, is the answer to be more generous. And he goes, I think that's the answer to every question. And I started thinking about that. And I was like, wait a second. I started thinking back. So then I, I put my hand up to ask him a question, nothing about business. And he looks at me and he goes, Vincent, tell us about your new book. Now he hadn't named anybody on the audience, but he did Q and A. He named me out loud and then he holds up my book for everybody to see. And I got real nervous. I was like, no, 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 that's not why I'm here. I'm not trying to take advantage of, of, and he goes, no, no, no. He goes, I'm just trying to get you some product placement. And the whole crowd like gasped and I'm getting my little old book lifted up by Seth Godin. And in that moment, it hit me the difference between generous goals and selfish goals. There was nothing in it for Seth Godin to lift up my book. There's nothing I could do for him. Right. I couldn't help him anyway. And a lot of people will be like, well, if you can't help me, I'm not going to do anything. Internally, they'll say that. 
That was not on his mind at all. It was, I, I believed in this guy, I guess. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show his book to other people and I'm going to give him a big boost. If he would have said, give me $5,000, I'll hold your book, I probably would have paid it, right? But the fact that he just did that, my goal now is to tell that story to lift him up more because this is something that I can do for him because I can open up more people to his world because he was so generous. And that's how that world goes around and around. And I never knew that before. So the more you put generous goals above your own selfish goals, you will get everything you want while building connection around it. So that's kind of the ju- the 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 crux of that story for me. Yeah, I love that too because I mean, he essentially answered that lady's question too, the me first lady, because yep. she's like, is the idea to be more generous? And then he's like up there and he demonstrates generosity. And the the difference there is he's the guy on stage who can do yep. that because he is generous. And she's the one who's still wondering, what do I do? How do I make this thing successful? How do I make it about me? And that is just night and day. And then of course, I mean, that instills that in you and, um, generous generosity though. It's a seed planter. You know, you're, you're throwing seeds out there. You're, you're pouring into people's lives. And when you do it from a, I don't expect anything in return, Mm -hmm. you have no idea what is going to return and it's going to surprise you. I think. It, it's funny because, and I'm not sure if you read this part, it's later in the book, but when I was just starting out in photography way back, like early 90s, mid 90s, I was struggling. I was working at a, a photo lab. If you still remember a photo lab, they, they actually process yeah. film, this, this thing called film that's actually <laughs> becoming retro now. And, and I was a waiter at the same time while interning for photography. And I was struggling really badly. I didn't know where to go. I was like a lot of people that were just stuck. So a guy comes in, his name's Fred Klein. And he's a wealthy attorney in our area, does very well. I went to school with his son and, and I was just telling him my story. I was like, oh, you know, I'm trying really hard. And he said to me, he goes, well, I have a connection. I'm friends with Shelly Finkel, who is actually Mike Tyson's manager. And Mike Tyson was at that point, you know, the baddest, baddest man on the planet. Yeah. He goes, we've got connections to Sports Illustrated. If you want to put together a portfolio, I'll bring your portfolio to Sports Illustrated. And I'm like, Oh, like this is, this is it. This is my dream because back then Sports Illustrated was the magazine. Mm-hmm. So I put this portfolio together. I give it to him and um, he brings it to Sports Illustrated. And I'm like, this is my big break. And he comes back two weeks later with my portfolio. And he goes, he goes, you know, they said you show promise, but you're a beginner. There's nothing they can do for you right now. And I was really deflated. So like a couple weeks later, he comes back in and I'm just really down. I'm like, what is going on? I'm not going to make it. And I said to him, I said, I'm just, I'm a loser. I work as a waiter and I work in this photo lab. I'm going nowhere. And on his way out, he said to me, he goes, you're not a loser. He said, but if you're still working here in five years, you are a loser. Wow. And I was like, whoa, okay. So I quit my job two weeks later. I said, you know what? I'm not going to be here in five years. If I'm not going to be here in five years, there's no reason for me to be here now. I got to go do what I got to do. And I went all in from that moment on, almost, almost literally from that moment on, went to build a 22-year career in sports photography. I shot Super Bowls, World Series. They flew me out for Muhammad Ali's birthday party in Arizona, anything you can imagine, but I never got to thank him. And two years ago, as I started writing this, I thought of him and I'm like, he has no idea what happened. Like he planned the seed yeah, and he has no idea. I could have just, I could still be working a prestige photo for all he knows. So I've tracked down his son. I finally got his number and I called him up. He's living, he's in, in Key West. And we had this amazing phone conversation. And we're going back and forth. And I tell him this story. He said, I cannot, after 20-something years, I have to tell you this story. 
And he said to he said to me, he goes, my mother always told me it's better to give than receive. You will always get what you need from it without even knowing it. And he said, I call it psychic compensation, meaning wow. if I put good out into the world consistently, good things are happening to others and to me. I just don't even know about it. And that is a compensation I need more than money. And I was like, man, I need to hear that because I think we always think, what's the ROI? How is this person going to help me? And it's such in the selfish realm. But if yeah. you go, I'm going to help people, I am going to get stuff back. I don't know how I'm going to get it. It might be in it might be in the form of a phone call 26 years later that validated what I did decades ago. You don't know what it's going to be, but you will be paid back for it. That was that was game changing for me. That conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. Uh, your self talk shifted the moment he had the generosity to share that feedback with you too. I mean, you're telling yourself you're a loser. I'm working in a restaurant. I I'm not a good photographer. And he stopped you and says you're not a loser. You will be later on if you're still in the same spot, but you're not a loser. And I think that's also huge, that generosity to share honest feedback. And, and I mean, that seed, you know, more specifically was that shift in your own perspective that you went from I'm a loser to no, I got to go get this done. And that's huge. Yeah. And just the fact that he believed in me to know you're not there right now. Yeah. But if you keep working, you will be there. And if you get there and you're still doing this. Yeah, then you then you're kind of a loser because you're still you, you didn't take your chance. But the whole, you know, being generous, generous with your honesty, to me, I take that to heart. I wrote about it and I get in trouble for it sometimes because people don't want to hear it. But I feel it is being generous. If you can if you can do for somebody what Fred did for me and if you could do it with tact and you could do it with caring, but you're honest and sometimes brutal. It's what people need to hear because everybody just kind of BSs each other. Oh, you're yeah. fine. Oh, you're fine. Oh, don't you don't worry about it. Don't don't worry about the haters. No, they're not haters. They care about you because they want you to do better. And sometimes they're going to call you out for it. And I had that with my portfolio. A guy, Joe Elbert, when I was first starting out, basically looked at my photography portfolio, eliminated, eliminated almost every picture from it, said, here are the two that are good. Keep these, shoot better pictures for everything else. And that critique, which other people would have gotten mad at, I was so grateful for it. And that critique, people like Joe and like Fred are the reasons why I elevated. And I think sometimes people don't want to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we try to spare people's feelings and we're actually depriving them of the, the improvement needed. That is huge. Totally. Yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, what would be an example of a generous goal compared to a selfish one? Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Show to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into Capshow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. Capshow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. Yeah, that's it's a great question because it's the type of thing where like, well, I want, you know, a beautiful house with a pool and a, you know, on the ocean, right? That's wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. But how are you going to get it? How are you going to get so that's right in there? But a generous goal would be like, I am going to create an app that is going to, you know, save, you know, 
mother's money so that they can, you know, be home with their kids. I'm going to create something. I'm going to do something. That's where the creation comes later in the book. I'm going to do something that benefits people in a way that the number one purpose is to serve them and to make sure that their needs or wants are taken care of. And with that, the money will flow down to where I had that house with the pool and the beach, as opposed to, hey, my goal is to buy this house. Nobody cares. And that's the whole thing. Nobody cares about your goals. Yeah. Everybody's so worried about their own goals. Nobody gives a crap about your goals, right? But if your goals are to help them or to help their sister or to help their mom, people care. But really, unless they're really close to you and it's a small group, people are so worried about what's going on in their life and their bank account and their emotions. They're really not too concerned with what you want to get. Yeah. So it really opens everything up where people actually want to help you when you have a generous goal. They don't usually want to help you when you have a selfish goal. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's same with conversations too. Like, you know, people think you're a great conversationalist when you're doing less talking and more listening. And I think serving others needs does require that it's listening to what they need and listening to how you can help that person meet that need. Um, and, and then, yeah, it just comes back to, it's that overflow. Yeah. Well, people are people that, that conversation too, people are deprived of, of these conversations. Everybody is so, I noticed even now more than ever, maybe it's COVID people just talk about themselves. Yeah. You just ask me a question and they just talk and they don't, and I'm being judgmental, whatever, but I'm looking around like people don't even know how to come up for air anymore. It's like their mouth has been shut for two years that they're just talking. And I'm like, that's great and everything, but you're just rambling to people and you're not curious and you're not interested. You just want to tell your life story and that might feel good. And we make you feel good by letting you speak. But if you really want to engage with people, you've got to ask questions. You got to be curious about them more than you're curious about your own story. And I think that's even this conversation is hard because I'm telling my story, but I really want to ask you questions. I really want to know more about you. This is, I love this, but I really, I think curiosity and the questions you ask and the interest you show in others opens more doors probably than anything else in this world. Yeah. And by you biting the bullet and sharing your story with me, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm learning from it and I know the folks listening in right now are learning from yep. it. Yeah. And That's why we have to do it. But yeah. it's, at the same time, I, you know, we'll sit down. I'll just ask questions because I, I want to know. I know my story. I don't need to tell my story unless it's something like this where it can, it can really add value for somebody else. But I really want to know about other people because I like I can I know my own stuff. Let me hear about you guys. And and if I can find out what's going on in Jerry's life and I can find out what Jerry's struggle. It's like remember podcast movement and a friend of mine, Ken Carfagno, I'm like, you guys yes. need to know each other. And then for two hours, I'm watching you guys do a podcast interview. And I'm like, they, they hit it off well. But but if I don't say, hey, I know this person over here and I know this person over here. And if I don't make that connection together of them, they might never know each other. And I robbed each of them of an opportunity to grow. And now the better each of you get, the better my network gets, right? Yeah. Which makes me better. So everything that I need gets better by bringing you guys together. And so often we're not even thinking about doing that. Yeah. It was really cool. I, I was about to bring up Ken Carfagno and that situation. Uh, so yeah, uh, 2021 podcast movement in Nashville. Uh, I'm bumping events. I'm like, Hey, how's it going? And you know, cause we all hadn't seen each other since before the pandemic. And yep. you introduced me to Ken. And I think within an hour or two, he's, I'm interviewing him. And yep. then uh, he must have been hanging out with you quite a bit because he decides to flip it and say, Hey, has your audience ever heard you be interviewed by anybody on your own show? I'm like, no. You got a great story. Let's flip it. I'm like, what? <laughs> and so we flipped it and he, he had me going deep. Like he had me actually 
like squirming in my chair. Like we awesome. almost go investigative journalist uh, on this. And uh, so by the time this episode airs, we have already published those two uh, interviews with Ken. Uh, but I wanted to point out one of the cool things that I saw you doing in that event for four days was being that connector of people. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're, you always had people around you. You're always having conversation. Every time I bumped into you those four days, uh, somewhere in that conversation was, Hey, Jerry, do you know Ken? Or, Hey, Jerry, do you know Shay? And I'm like, yeah, I already mm-hmm. know Shay. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, cause she's like similar to you that she's always connecting yep. folks. Uh, or it was vice versa. Like, Hey, John, do you know Jerry? And it was just like, you're always like, it wasn't a group conversation unless you could make a connection of some kind in there. It was almost mafia like without the kiss my <laughs> ring and pay me back when I ask for a favor. Like that was missing from it all. You were just connecting people and sending resources to each other that you know wasn't even coming out of your own pocket it was just i trust this guy to know this guy i'm gonna make the connection for them and well, tr- you do that. i mean the, the connection and the trust is the factor i don't you know personally i don't do that all the time for everybody because i don't know people yet yeah. but when you when you build up the trust and i know the work that you do and i know the person that you are now as you get elevated like as you see in the book right character and curiosity when i meet people that have those two things i and I have a connection with them, you know, that's level three. Now I want to do a collaboration, which is yeah. level four in the book because I want to bring you together with people because now I'm like, Oh, it's going to make them. Hey, Jerry's got a great audience. He's got a great, you know, message. He's a great person. Hey, this is gonna. It's kind of been vetted a little bit. It's not just, Hey, let's just connect just to do it. No, because that that'll screw things up. Yeah. If you meet somebody with bad character and they do it the wrong, the wrong way, that could be trouble. It's got to be vetted. So it's, it's on top of my mind all the time. Cause I think it, you know, that's the wealth of connection. That's how I don't think it's, it's thought of often enough. Like, Oh, Hey, what are my friend's goals? Like what's Jerry's goal? I'm sure Jerry wants better connection. I'm sure he wants great people for a show. I'm sure he wants all the stuff to get bigger and better. So what can I do to improve that? Can same thing. If I can keep doing that, my entire network just gets stronger. And when you have a powerful network around you, that's why the end of the book is about creation. It's like anything you create is going to be bigger and better because yeah. of all the people around you that, that trust you. Yeah. And then you, at least in your circle, have that kind of clout that Seth Godin does with his bigger circle. You yeah. know, you, it just good. Yeah. yeah and, and that's the whole thing. I'm small compared to him, but within my own thing, it's strong and it doesn't have to be huge. You don't have to be Seth Godin or, you know, Mark Cuban to be, to be influential. You can, if you're influential within your sphere that trusts you, it's really all you need. Everything else is kind of bigger. Great. But I'm not concerned about bigger. I'm concerned about quality. Yeah. So it's not that hard to do. And it's what I love to, you know, teach about. And I think it's just a lost art. Some people have it down and some people are absolutely clueless when it comes to this. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a word earlier, curiosity as yeah. a foundational piece of this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, with that, um, you know, folks will have heard that phrase, curiosity killed the cat. Yet you share a story in Wealth of Connection where curiosity didn't kill the cat, but actually got you into a Super Bowl game that you could not afford to go to. It was, was, it it was a baseball Bowl? game. Baseball. Was, it was the Mets. Was Mets. Oh, my gosh. Jerry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I need more coffee. I wish it was a Super Bowl. <laughs> that, would be, that would be cool. No, back when I was a kid, I was a huge Mets fan. Yeah. You know, I'm old enough to remember like the 86 Mets. They were my favorite team. And I couldn't. You know, it, I couldn't go to the World Series. They beat the Red Sox. It was one of the most, if anybody remembers the Bill Buckner, the ball between his legs, World Series. And <laughs> so I wanted to go to the parade and my mom wouldn't let me go to the parade. I'm 14 years old. So I'm calling her from the payphone at school. I'm like, 
come on, let me go. And she wouldn't let me go. So we were watching on TV that night. And my mom's like, look how cold everybody looks. Aren't you glad you're not there? And I'm just mad at my mom. Like, I don't care how cold it was. I wanted to be there. But six months later is opening day. And I'm like, oh, this is where they're going to get the rings. Is we're going to raise the band. Like, I have to be there. It's a day game. I don't know why my parents didn't take me. I have to even ask them, why didn't you take me to the game? They were going to work and I wanted to go to the game. And they, they only, I bugged them until they allowed me to go, but only if I can go with a friend. I couldn't go by myself. So my friend Scott was going to go with me, but on the day of the game, my parents go to work and I'm like, I go to Scott's house to go meet him. We're going to go take the, the bus to, to Shea Stadium and he's not allowed to go. And his mom changed her mind and now I'm stuck. And I'd heard the phrase, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission before, but I'd never like used it. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to ask forgiveness on this one. I'm going to the game. Nobody knew where I was. These are the glory days before cell phones. So you can just run off for nine hours at a time and nobody knows. Um, so I took a bus to another bus and I got on this bus and it's just me and the bus driver and this just kind of big, scary looking dude and dressed in black gold chain and, you know, slick back hair. And I, I go sit down cause I'm kind of scared. Cause I'm like, Ooh, you know, right there at the front of the bus. So I go to the back of the bus and he, within a few minutes, he looks at me and he goes, he goes, kid, shouldn't you be in school? And I was like, um, I'm, I'm going to the, I'm going to the Mets game. And he said, by yourself, he's like laughing. He's got a cigar in his mouth and he goes, he goes, you know, by yourself, you, you even have a ticket. I said, no, I'm, I'm going to try to get a ticket at the game. I'm all shy and nervous. <laughs> and he laughs at me and he goes, kid, this is the hottest ticket in town. It's been sold out for months. How much money you got? Now I'm getting nervous. I'm like, this guy going to rob me. Like what's, what's going on here? And I said, um, I have $30 and he just laughs out loud, loud laugh. And, and he goes, this kid, he like waves me off. Finally, he stopped talking to me. So I was relieved. And he, I go to get off the bus, like when my stop comes. And as I'm walking off the bus, he stops me. I hear his voice one more time. He goes, hey, kid. He goes, come here, turn around. So I turn around. I walk back up the steps to him. I'm staring right in the face. And he goes, okay, when you get to Shea, you go to gate B. You ask for Vito Lateruli. You, you tell him that Funzie from the waterfront sent you. This is in New York City, right? This is, and I'm like, Okay, so I get off and I get to the subway because the subway is going to take me to the third stop. And I'm like, there's no way I'm doing this. I'm not saying his name, I'm not doing that stuff. But I kept saying their names over and over my head the whole subway ride. And I get to Shea Stadium and it's jammed. Like there's no tickets available. Everybody's looking and $30 isn't going to get me a ticket. So I go to gate B. I'm like, I might as well give it a shot. And I asked the guy, I said, hey, is Vito Lateruli here? And I remembered the name and he goes, who's asking? And I said, uh, uh, and I'm pointing to nobody. I'm like, Funzie from the, <laughs> from the waterfront sent me. And he looks at me and I look down at his hands and now I'm nervous. I'm like, am I going to get in trouble? And he opens the gate and he says, come on in. And I walk in and he goes, wait right here. And like a minute later, so a couple minutes later, some nice woman walks down with a clipboard and a, head, and a walkie-talkie. He said, come with me. Walk up. The, we're in the stadium. We're walking up the ramp. And she goes, are you hungry? And I'm like, sure. And she gets me a hot dog and a soda. And she goes, you want a program? I said, Sure. I can't believe what's going on. I'm like, sure. She gets me a program all free. Starts walking across the concourse. We start going down the steps towards the seats right behind home plate front row pulls out a seat and says, have a great time, sweetie. Wow. I'm like, <laughs> and I get within a half an hour, they raise the championship banner. I see the world series rings. I'm so close. I can like see the dimes on the rings. My favorite player, Daryl strawberry hits a three run home the Mets win greatest day of my life. And it's not until I got home that night after I was looking for him on the train that I realized I walked into the house. I hear my, I tell my parents the story. I go to tell Scott what happened. I come back and I hear my parents say, he's got no idea that the mafia got him into that game. And I was like, (laughs) 
but it opened up. Uh, the reason why I tell that story is because I never saw him again for 35 years. I don't know if he died the next year. I don't know if he's still alive now, but two things happened. I know nothing about him except his name. That's all I know about him. All I know is he asked me three questions, three questions that opened doors, that unlocked doors. And when he realized what was going on, he used that curiosity to connect me to somebody that he knew that I would never be able to find out about. I never would have known to say that name. And he gave me one of the greatest experiences of my life. And I have to tell that story because if he's still out there or just for his own legacy, he did psychic compensation of doing something for me that he never found out about. And he is still being spoken about because there's a phrase that says you never die until people stop saying your name. And I will continue saying his name and he will continue living whether no matter if he's not here anymore or not because of that. And it's because of his curious curiosity and it was because of his generosity to open doors for others. Yeah. And what were some of the, the life lessons that you got out of that event? I mean, I mean, you just shared one of them about the curiosity. Uh, yeah. It changed. I didn't know it at the moment because I was 15, but I went back to school and I hated school. And, and, and what, it, Oh, there was a couple of things I, I opened up my eyes and I was like, what there's a whole different world than what they're telling me about. Mm-hmm. There's a whole different world than this boring building with algebra and trigonometry that I don't care about. Tuesday afternoon, there's people getting paid to be at Shea Stadium to be at a baseball game. Like that's a career. Yeah. And so so when I went to my guidance counselor and she said, What do you want to do for a living? I said, Oh, I don't know. I said, I just know I don't want to wear a tie. She got mad at me. She got <laughs> mad at me. And I said, No, I'm serious. I said, I don't want to, I said to her, I don't want to sit in an office like this with a dim orange light wearing a tie. I don't want to do stuff like this. And she goes, get out. And she kicked me out. And it really made me think later on, if she would have said to me, instead of me telling you what you should be interested in, what are, I should be interested in their stuff. What am I interested in? And they would have known I was at the sports and they would have said, well, you know, you're five, nine and a half and you're slow as molasses. You're never going to play sports, but there's careers out there like being a writer, statistician, grounds crew, photographer, you can make a living on the field with these people making good money, standing right next to your idols. And that's your job. She would have told me that I would have been the best student at Rosalind high school, but because there was no curiosity with them, I was the worst student at Rosalind high school. I literally found out I graduated the day before graduation. So I learned that. And it really opened me up to, there's a career out there that suits exactly what I want to do. And I wound up doing that career for more than two decades. So, so much came from that one day. Yeah. I mean, you got to like, be on the field at like historical catches in football and you know yeah. just yeah i mean if there was a sporting event that was historical you and involved the pittsburgh steelers you were most likely there i, got, I, I <laughs> shot you know I, I shot tom brady's first super bowl i was mm-hmm. i was i was 20 yards from adam, adam vinitary when he kicked that field goal um any like all these different things i'm at you know jerome bettis had this fumble this game where he fumbled it's still historic i was right on the sideline for that there's all these different stories and it came from that. It yeah. came from what am I curious about? What am I passionate about? How can I then go make a career from that? So I just think people undervalue what their interests are in terms of studying it and then going and pursuing that as a passion. Yeah. I think it's a huge part of being stuck in a rut is we stop being curious. We, I guess, let fear take over and we try to play yes. it safe. And so maybe we're in a career where the income is good. But deep down inside, it's not the thing we want to do. We don't feel like yeah. we're making a difference in people's lives. Uh, you know, nobody knows what I do for work. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it really making a difference? I mean, when I die, all I had was a paycheck and a lot of hours spent away from my family. And I mean, you got a taste of freedom. You know, yeah. this is a guy on a bus with a cigar 
who has the ability to just hand a seat and a memory to a child, a teenager, he just met on the bus. And, you know, now, it's, it's funny you just mentioned that because I didn't even think about it. That's the other thing. It was a Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. Everybody else is in an office on yeah. a Tuesday afternoon. He's riding the bus. Like, yes. I don't know what he did for a living, so I can't say, right? Weird lessons from the mafia. <laughs> uh, but it's true. But it's true. But what I learned was it wasn't, hey, do this, go do this and and give me a hundred bucks for it. Exactly. It, there was no you scratch my back, I scratch yours, which people think that's general. That's not helpfulness. That's bribery. Yeah. You do this for me, I'll do it. No, it's not about that. And people have, it's just such a scarcity mindset. And I think it keeps people stuck. And I think, you know, to the point of, of, of your message here to your audience is like, that's where the wealth of connection for, that's why that term comes into me. Because when you have connection in all these different ways, when you do that for others, when people do that for you, careers open up, like it, it transcends industries. I can literally shut down everything that I'm doing right now and start something new. And because of my connection and my network, I'll be able to make it successful. It's not mm-hmm. because of me. It's because I've built, I spend my time on my network and they're going to be like, Hey, here's this, here's an affiliate for this. Here's yeah. a connection here. But when you don't have that wealth of connection, you are stuck in this job or in this career. Like, where do I go? And now all of a sudden what happens is people are so desperate and they start reaching out to people wanting stuff. Right. When I shot sports, it was always like, Oh, the Patriots are coming to town. And I would get 15 messages from people be like, Hey, Vin, I haven't talked to you in 10 years. Can I be your assistant? And I'd be like, no, that pass goes to the people that are in my life. Yeah. Not the people that just are passing by asking for something. But so many people, they don't connect or reconnect until they need something. And that's the worst time to do it. Oh, exactly. Yeah. It's the worst time to do it. It's not genuine. It's just not even quid pro quo even at that point. It's, you know, give it's me, selfish. give me, give me. Yeah. It's, 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 it's how I need something that I need something now. Can you introduce me to this person for you now? And I'm like. No, that goes to people that have trust in my I don't have to say no. I have to say no. The, that goes to people that have trust in my life. Those are people who've been in my life. They've earned it. Not that I'm keeping score of it, but they're in my life for a reason. And it's and I and and to be able to make that connection, like I need to know that you have that character. I need to know that you have the curiosity. It doesn't just happen. And I think when if you just wait until you need something to connect, you're you're way behind the eight ball. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's just I love that because, I mean, my current job, um, it was a promotion from my previous one and I wasn't looking for a new job. Uh, and my predecessor is the one who got me into the job uh, because she's a friend of mine. Uh, we stayed connected when she left the previous organization mm-hmm. we were in together. Uh, and she was in, well, my role uh, for maybe nine months and got poached by another organization to become a vice president. And it was it was a deal she couldn't refuse. Uh, but her boss said, look, you got to name your replacement. You've only been here nine months. I want somebody who's just like you, who has the potential to jump right in and grow and is long-term minded. And she, without hesitation, said one name and turned out to be mine. Mm. And uh, she went back to my boss and my vice president where I was working, had dinner with them, told them what she was up to. They said, great, this is perfect for him. Uh, It's going to give him the growth he needs. It's going to give him the advancement he needs. It's going to give him a pay raise that he deserves and uh and so we started the process and now two and a half years later i'm still i'm I'm at this new place i replaced my friend and you know it benefited me and my family benefited my boss benefited my team and yep. you know and my friend who put my name in the hat never asked for anything in return she just uh she just goes on and does it for other people <laughs> and and, uh, and 
And yet here you are talking about her yeah. and giving her right psychic compensation. And look at I, that is such a great story because people don't see that 87% of jobs are filled through referrals. Yeah. One way or the other. It's not about your resume. It's not about the application. It's not about that stuff. It's about who you know, and not just who you know, but those steps within who you know. If you were, tr- if you were not trustworthy, Jerry, if you were not you know, hardworking and all the things you are, she wouldn't have recommended you. Yeah. So it's not just who you know. It's everything within that. And for you, you didn't even know what was going on. You were probably you know, maybe making a sandwich at the time and, not, and maybe doing <laughs> something else, and she's recommending you. And literally, there's nothing you did at the moment to get it. It's everything you did in the past that got it. And then you were already trusted. And now you're in that position where, where there might have been 50 other applicants. And yeah. you just jumped over everybody. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, again, I, I didn't go to her and say, hey, I'm looking for a new uh, scenery. I'm looking for a new role. Mm-hmm. What, what do you know? What can you hook me up with? Like, I didn't go to her. She came to me. And the only thing I had done was just stay in touch with her when she left our organization, stayed her friend, uh, you know laugh at her jokes, crack jokes. <laughs> you know? yeah. You. yeah. Yeah. And there was no quid pro quo to it. And that, that I think people underestimate the value in that. And that's the essence of wealth of connection is just connect with people, be curious about people, be generous with your time, with your efforts, with your knowledge. And you know, those doors will open. I, there's even a biblical story of, uh, out, you know, roping you into a religious story. No, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Jesus, uh, what apparently healed 10 people, but only one of them said, thank you. Yeah. I guess. It, yeah. It didn't stop him from healing the 10 people. He was like, well, the nine who didn't say thank you, I take it back. Boom. He didn't, he yeah. just off you go. And, but, but we remember the one who did. Yes. Right. And, and that, you know, there's a story in the book about this guy that, um, his last name's, oh, I, I forget his first name at the moment. Kralik is the last name. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if he saw his part, but basically he had an awful life. Every, he, he had got divorced. His girlfriend was breaking up with him. His kids didn't speak to him. His heat in his apartment wasn't working, you know, and, but he was still at a good job, but he was miserable. And he got a thank you note, a handwritten thank you note from his sister, I believe it was. And he was like, man, that was really wow. impactful. And he remembered writing thank you notes. So he decided to start writing thank you notes. And he wrote a book called 365 Thank Yous. And he wrote one thank you note a day from January 1st to December 31st. And what happened was quickly, people started being like reconnecting with him. They started one guy that owed him like a couple thousand dollars just because of a thank you note said, hey, I'm sending you the money. I I forgot about it. Relationships got healed. Relationships got stronger. By the end of the year, his life was completely different, had all these strong relationships. Everything was better. And it was directly tied sending a thank you note every day to somebody who's like, it was the mailman. It was the person that worked at Kinko's. It was not wow. like, oh, what's the hierarchy of the of my influence and my connection? It was anybody that he wanted to thank changed his entire life. So right to your point, the one person that thanked him, we remember that. The other people, they didn't get spited for it, but they didn't get remembered either. Mm-hmm. You had a family mechanic that yeah. served your family in a big way and yeah. you went to his funeral and there was more than just your family there. And yeah, what's, what's, what's crazy is last night I messaged him. And I said, hey, do you want to read this? I wrote about your dad and the book's wow. coming out. And he messaged me and he said he was just blown away. He goes, I don't know how you captured dad that well. Um, they wanted to frame it and put it up. They want to frame it and put it on the wall in the, in the, in the shop, which is so sweet. Um, but yeah, his name is Scott Bain. And, and we got referred to him by friends, our friends, Missy and John. And immediately, like we were like family. We got there and he'd bring the kids into the shop. And he'd show them all around. 
And, you know, he's like, he told the kids, like, whenever you want a job, you're, you're here. Like, you're good. You're good kids. You're good workers. And the first time we went there, you know, it was like a busted hose or something. We prepare for a couple hundred dollar bill. You know, um, I say there's nothing more valuable than an honest mechanic. I say that all the time. And he was like, so we went to go pay him. And, and it was like, I said, what do we owe you? And he said, oh, nothing. He goes, it was a busted hose. I'm like, no, no, you, you can fix it. And he goes, no, come get out of here. You know, you're gonna, we're not paying anything. It was a busted hose. We just fixed it. So right there, you know, client for life as long, as long as we live there, honest mechanic. Well, we went back. And every time we go there, he would treat us like we're the only people. He literally take as much time as possible. Just one of the greatest guys. And then one morning I was working and Elizabeth comes in. She goes, I think Scott died. And I'm like, what? I just saw him the other day. He had a heart attack, massive heart attack, heart attack. And we went to the funeral and, and the kids were broken up. I'm like, this is our mechanic. Like we care more about this guy than we do people that are real close, you know, or supposed to be close in family because he cared and he was there. We go to the funeral home and we're thinking there won't be that many people there and we won't really see very many people and it's jam-packed this mechanic right and all i'm hearing is these stories and all these stories just like we went through like scott did this for us and he did that for us he was and i went up to his son i said you know i really thought we were special and i realized we're not that special he did this for everybody and he goes no he loved you guys but he this is just who he was yeah he just cared about everybody and it wasn't about the bottom line it wasn't about the money it was about the relationships and I wanted to write that in the book because I wanted that story and that legacy to carry on because that to me is way more impression, more important than a funnel and your profit margin. That's what's remembered. And if we can keep celebrating those stories, those are the stories and those are the people that will never die because we'll keep telling it. Yeah. I, I, it made me think of Jared Easley from Podcast Movement. I mean, yeah. every time that guy reaches out and connects to me, I, I feel like Jared reached out to me. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, there are like 50,000 people in his podcast movement community. <laughs> and, yep. you know, he's connecting with as many as he can that same way. And it's just like, but when he connects with me, I don't feel like he's rushing off to the next connection. I, I feel like he just took time to reach out to me. And that's what I remember. I mean, you, same totally. thing. Yeah. But, but there's something different about a personal connection than a mass thing. When, mm-hmm. when people are launching a book and they go, I'm sending a mass email to all my list. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I guess that can work. But I tell you, when I reach out to you, like, I reached out to you personally, would you want to read this, right? Yeah. First, here's a perfect example for anybody listening. I reached out to Jerry because I'm like, I like Jerry. Would you want to pre-read the book? And you said to me, what? You want to come on my podcast, right? Yeah. I didn't reach out to you to get on your podcast. I reached out to you. To, but when people go, how do I get on podcasts? I'm like, it's not about sending a spam email to everybody that Jerry gets 50 a week, probably from people wanting to be on the show. It's about having a connection where I don't even have to ask because if you have the relationships, people might ask. And so we're sitting here talking because of that. And it was a one-on-one thing. It wasn't because Jerry was on my email list and I sent it out. It was because I thought of Jerry and I sent him a message. Yeah. And, and I think people, that's not scalable. Who cares if it's not scalable? It, it builds relationships. It builds, and it, it's actually better than being scalable in yeah. terms of not only the relationship, but I probably wouldn't have been on the show right now if I sent you a mass email. And I think, I think if we could change the thought process on that and make people think more generously and less selfishly and more personal, that's my mission with this book is yeah. to change that. Yeah. And you know, just to share my thought process, when you messaged me, before I even looked at the book, I was thinking in my head, how do I adapt this 
so that I can get him on my show and, mm. and help him, uh, you know, cause he's already thought of me and asked me if I want to read it. Um, of course I'm going to read it because I've got this reading goal that he's helping me accomplish, whether he knows it or not. <laughs> and so, um, I can't wait for this to go on Goodreads so I can get credit for reading it. Right. Um, but then once I got that book downloaded and I read the first two pages, I'm like, Oh man, I'm so glad I asked him because this is perfect. This is perfect for you listening in. And I mean, here we are. And, uh, now we're running out of time though. Uh, so any final words of wisdom before we, uh, tell folks where to get this book when it comes out and all that good stuff? Yeah. I, I want to, you know, I know who you're talking to here, right? And it's, you know, it's, it's guys that are stuck, right? 30s and 40s and they're stuck. And, and what I've learned is this. And if this can help, I mean, I think, the wealth of connection is something that is to always keep top of mind. I do a thing called the hour of giving. There's, there's, I'm going to give you two here. There's a side to that. So the hour of giving, essentially, I take one hour every day, usually in the morning, and I'm messaging people. I'm leaving reviews. I'm connecting people. I do all the things that I want for myself, for other people first. It gets It's it's the opposite of the morning journal. Of like, what are your goals? It's the opposite. It's like, what are other people's goals, right? So I do that every morning. So if, if whenever I see people that start doing that, they immediately tell me, wow, this this is impactful, not just for their own connection, their own success, but the relationship that they build. So I would highly encourage everybody to start, even if it's 15 minutes of giving, right? Or 10 minutes, start doing that habit. But the other thing is when I find people in a rut, they're generally an expert in something and they don't even know that they're an expert in something. It's probably their job and it's going okay. And it's kind of boring and it pays. Now they've gotten used to the money they're getting paid and they're stuck, right? What I say all the time, and this is how I keep myself going. And hopefully this is helpful. I always have to be a beginner in something, growing in something, and an expert in something at all times. So if I'm an expert in podcasting, if that's going really good because I'm about a thousand episodes in a row, okay, I keep getting better at that. But what am I a beginner in? What am I? What is something that I can try that I'm gonna? I possibly could fail at very easily. Writing a book, I'm telling you, there's no guaranteed success in anything in writing a book. So when I go to write a book now, that's my beginner thing. You know, building a membership could be the growing thing. I have these things that rotate and expert wise, eventually, if it's going so well, either I leave it, I outsource it or I optimize it, but it doesn't take up very much of my time, but it makes good money. The beginning part to me is always the most fun because I always like to know that I'm not going to succeed. This, this book I could throw out there and nobody buys it. There's no guarantee, but I love that because I don't mind the failure. I would challenge everybody that's in a rut to find something to be a beginner with anything. It doesn't have to be career-wise, but something to make you realize whether it's playing guitar, whatever it is, be a beginner in something because that's going to start you thinking differently and get you your energy going as opposed to, I'm kind of just bored with everything that I'm doing. And I find that a lot of times people are experts, even though they don't think they're experts, but if you're in your job and you're doing well and you're bored, you're an expert in that. You need something to challenge you. And that could be something that could lead to an income stream, multiple income streams, or a completely new career as you build it out. So that has been a game changer for me. I, I hope that hits for somebody because I think it really could be helpful. It at least hit me. So awesome. Okay, cool. <laughs> so uh, the wealth of connection, when it comes out, where can people buy a copy of that? Yeah, you can go to our website, um, totalifefreedom.com, Amazon, anywhere online that you can buy books. Um, and yeah, that it's, it's pretty simple if you want. And also I love connection. So if you have a question about it for me, my email is vincent at totallifefreedom.com. I email anybody if you email me back. Always looking for new conversations, new connections. Um, but yeah, on the website or Amazon, it, the book's called The Wealth of Connection. Nice. And we didn't mention this at all, but you've got a podcast with the same name, to- Total Life Freedom. 
Yes. Nice short bits. So if you're in a crunch for time and you want something that's going to really get you inspired for the day, uh, check that show out. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Overcast, whatever you're listening to podcasts on. Uh, and is there anything else that uh, you want people to know about that you offer? Um, no, yeah, I appreciate the podcast. I, I forgot it. it's a it's a daily short form. The way what I did with this show was I, I'm like we're not doing intros, we're not doing outros, we're not doing music. It's going to be right to the point. Five to eight minutes daily hit something to take away just to make you better every day. Um, just about a thousand episodes on that. Um, yeah, the, the other thing we do for entrepreneurs, and I'm not here to pitch it, but we we have an online community called the Total Life Freedom Community and Mastermind, and it's for entrepreneurs who get it, people that understand this world. It's like we realize it's for like lonely entrepreneurs. I didn't realize that because so many of us are building lives of freedom, but we're working from home or we're working by ourselves and we, and our brother-in-law doesn't get it. And our parents don't understand what we're going through. We have our own unique challenges and struggles that only solopreneurs and entrepreneurs deal with. So we created a community for that. So it's, it's a wide variety of people in all different industries that we work together. We have two calls a week two mastermind calls a week that we work at. We have live retreats. It's a, it's a really cool place. That's that's all at the at the website. If anybody had the interest, totallifefreedom.com. Awesome. Vincent, it was great to have you on the show again. And always great to chat with you. So this is a great excuse to get both. Will I be, will I be seeing you at PodFest? Podcast um, Movement? I won't be able to go to PodFest uh, because some project's going on at work. But Podcast Movement, I have no excuse because it's literally like a mile right and a half. Yeah. I'm pointing at the Sheraton right now. Well, through a door and a wall and a bunch of buildings. But yeah, I can see the Sheraton from my apartment. So you don't have to get a hotel? You drive no. home or you stay yeah. there? Uh, just going to drive in or probably take probably take the train just to be an urban guy, I guess. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I, will, I will see you there. Awesome, man. Good. Well, have a great rest of your weekend and I'll uh, talk to you later. Thanks, Jerry. So you heard Vincent and I talk about things like the wealth of connection, even going mafia style in some way, but for good. Now, we also talked about the idea of generous goals, serving others, being minded towards the needs of others, and how that could just change everything in your life and in the lives of others. I hope you found value in this episode, and the best way you can pay this show back is to pay it forward. So hit the share button on however you're listening to this right now and send this episode to somebody you feel would also find value in it, just like you did. Now, I'm if you're looking for you know, extra information, like where do I find this book? How do I find Vincent's website? Go to my show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 306. There you'll find links to Total Life Freedom, uh, the podcast, the website, as well as his new book, The Wealth of Connection. Now, I'm so glad you joined me this week, and I'm looking forward to joining you again next week. But until next time, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash Cap Show, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Cap Show team today and join me inside that community.